Welcome to Underground at the Showcase, the official podcast of the Underground Music Showcase and a production of Youth on Record. I'm associate producer Xavier Goche. In this episode, hosts Emerson Olson and Chloe Hines sit down with Rootbeer and Nate from Rootbeer Richie and the Reveille, a Denver band specializing in soulful swamp pop. The group contains a booming horn section and massive soulful vocals reminiscent of iconic jazz bands, but with a new energetic twist. Backed by the Reveille, seven of the hardest hitters in Denver's music scene, Rootbeer Ritchie has one of the most soulful rhythm and blues bands west of the Mississippi. Before we jump into the interview, please like, follow, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Now, let's take a listen to their track, Can't Call Me Baby. Hi, 
Hi, welcome to Underground at the Showcase, the official podcast of the Underground Music Showcase and a production of Youth on Record. I'm Chloe. And I'm Emerson. We are recording upstairs at the Meininger Art Supply on 499 North Broadway, just a mile north of the UMS Showcase stage. Our guest today is Rupia Ritchie and the Reveille. Before we jump into the episode, please make sure to follow and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Could you guys introduce yourselves? Hi, I'm Rupia Ritchie. Hi, Nate Larkin. Awesome. So how did Root Beer Richie and the Rebel get started? Um, so I was living in New Orleans and I was writing all this music and I don't know, it like a lot of people have asked me why I didn't form the band in New Orleans, but honestly, just the group of musicians that I knew in Denver, there's just players that I was like, I have to do this with these people. And like it's something about the Denver music scene. Like, the Denver music scene feels like a family more than any other scene that I've been to. And it's like bands really support each other and root for each other in a way that they don't do many other places. Like, it's not cutthroat. It's not a competition. It's like everyone's having a good time together. And it's such a beautiful thing that I, like, I don't know. I couldn't have imagined doing it anywhere else. So I just wrote a bunch of music in New Orleans and then moved up here and the pandemic happened. So I had, like a little extra time to kind of polish up these songs and get them ready. And as soon as it was safe for people to hang out in groups, we all started getting together and do the thing. So I saw in a previous interview that you did, you said you came out here in 2014. Yeah, I moved up here originally in 2014 and I played in some punk bands up here, lived up here for a couple of years, got myself in a little bit of trouble, went back down South to get my head back on. Right. And, uh, yeah, but I mean, the whole time I was in the South, it was weird too because Louisiana's home, but it was like when I was away from Denver, I like missed Denver in a way that like, I was like, man, like Denver's become my home. Like that's where I feel like is home. And I'd like fly up to Denver like three or four times a year. And every time I was here, I'd be like, this is weird. Like feeling like somewhere that you weren't born feels more like home than home in a way. What are some of your favorite local hotspots, places you like to visit in Denver? I mean, for me, it's primarily just food. Um, Give us the suggestions. Carmine Leonardo's is so good. I think about it most days, most of the day. Is that the deli? Yeah. I and they, worked there in high school. Oh, that deli is awesome. It's good. It's oh, it's yeah. so good. It's changed the way that I say sauce. And I like, <laughs> it's so weird though, because like, I'm not Italian at all, but I've eaten there and like talked with the family that works there so much that I'm like, I say sauce now. And to be like, sauce, it feels weird. I can't do it. <laughs> That's so weird. They, is there a location in Denver? Uh, it's technically Lakewood. Oh, okay. But cause... Lakewood might as well be Denver. It's such a big sprawling yeah. metropolitan area. Yeah, man. I haven't heard that in forever. They had a location down in Aurora, and I worked there for like a year right before I started high school. So <laughs> Yeah, Carmine's is awesome. Vin Wong is awesome, too. They do Bon Mies. I don't know. I think about sandwiches a lot, like a lot. <laughs> you would think like coming from New Orleans or like Louisiana, the food couldn't even compare, but... <laughs> I mean, there's definitely some spots back in the South that... I mean, there's there's places in New Orleans, there's places in Lafayette and Lake Charles that you just can't touch. Like, it's just so good. But Denver has a really great food scene. If you're willing to like kind of pop into a couple hole in the walls and just try some stuff, like there's some really bomb spots. Yeah. And I'd be eating 
a lot. He does. <laughs> Three times a day. Sometimes four. At least. Sometimes four. Sometimes you got to get that extra meal. You know? <laughs> Little snack. Yeah, Taco Bell tried to coin it, but like everyone could have four meals if you want. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's a very fair point. Yeah. Um, what else would you bring from Louisiana with you to Denver? Like, I mean, first of all, actually, what got you in Denver in the first place? Like, why did you come here to um, from the get-go? Uh, Seth Stone, the drummer of the Reveille. Um, I was living in Lake Charles. I was playing in a two-piece rock and roll band called Root Beer Mermental. And Seth Stone was playing in a band called Dirty Few. And they toured through Lake Charles because that was their old hometown. And we like hung out one night and we just became like super sick buds. We ended up like hopping on their show the next day, last minute. And we played it with them. And then they were like, you got to tour to Denver. You got to come play in Denver. And we came up here, we played two shows in Denver and we had one off day. And then after that weekend, I was like, yeah, I got to live here. Like, this is just the spot for me. Where were those shows at? Um, We played the taxi pool, which is like the shipping container pool. I don't know if you ever, I don't even know if it still exists. I hope it does. It was really cool. But it was with uh, like a comedian group. I think it was called Too Much Funstable. And it was like bands and comedians all hanging out by a pool outside in the summertime. It was really cool. And then I think we played at High Dive as well, if I remember correctly. Um, I think with a band called Warhawk. Nice. And it was fun. It was just, I don't know, the vibe here, the music scene here, everything about it, the lack of humidity and mosquitoes. I was like, yeah, this is where I'm coming. Like, I got to be here. And we ended up moving up here like a couple months later, honestly. It was pretty quick. So I love how you ended up just deciding, like, Denver is the spot for me, but then you brought Louisiana culture with you. Um, what else would you bring with you to Denver um, outside of music? Um, I don't know. I like to feel like I bring a little bit of, like, Southern charm and hospitality. I try to be as friendly and nice as I can. You know? I don't know. My mom and my grandmama raised me right, so I try to throw that on everything. And I, know, I definitely cook for people a lot. I like to have people over for dinner and make like gumbo, sauce, pecan, jambalaya, all that stuff, you know. But yeah, I don't know. I feel like I bring a little Southern stank with me wherever I go. <laughs> I'd like to know how you guys met. Me and him? Yeah. We met a long time ago. My older brother hung out with them a lot. Um, I met him probably 2014. But I didn't really like start hanging out with them again until after COVID. Okay. I was living in Nashville. They asked me to come back and play sax. I was like, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> I'm coming back. Have you played saxophone your entire life? Uh, since middle school. Okay. Elementary school, yeah. Nice. Long awesome. time. Yeah. How did each of you, um, did you meet everyone at the same time, or how did you get each of your members of the group? Um, everyone I met in this group, just about everyone, was just people that I met 2014, 2015, playing shows, hanging out with people, you know, kind of just seeing different musicians in the scene being like, man, this person's really awesome. This person's really awesome. This person's really awesome. Um, and then some of it, you know, just kind of like accidentally along the way, just from doing music stuff. It's all music related. But yeah, I don't know. Just kind of like through the social scene. I mean, Denver's got such a cool music scene in a sense of that, like, almost it's like, you play in a band in Denver, I play in a band in Denver, we're going to be friends off of that basis alone, which is really cool. And so it's easy to be networky and find players and 
find people to make bands with. And everyone here is always like looking to make a side project, looking to do something else. Like everyone wants to, no one has like a cap on their creativeness, you know? So it's nice to, I don't know, it's a good scene like that. That's also why I wanted to come do this band here because it's just a good energy, you know? Please tell us more about the origins of Swamp Pop. What is Swamp Pop for those that may not know? Um, and who are some other prominent Swamp Pop artists? So Swamp Pop is a genre of music that was formed in Acadiana Parish back in the 60s. And basically it's characterized as having like a New Orleans rhythm and blues backbeat on the bass and the drums. You have rock and roll style guitars, thumping pianos, horns, and then you have like kind of like a heavily belted lovelorn lyrics over the top. And funnily enough, whenever all these songs were being written, it wasn't really like, oh, I'm trying to write Swamp Pop songs. And I remember having a sit down with Seth, the drummer, being like, what are we going to call this? Like, what genre are we going to call this? We're like, trying to think of something like maybe we could coin something or like have some kind of cool genre that's off the, the, the books, like not something you see every day. And then we started like thinking about it. And then I think he was like, what if we called it Swamp Pop? And then we Googled Swamp Pop. And then we're like, oh, like these bands are considered Swamp Pop. And this is a description of Swamp Pop. This is exactly what we're doing. And I feel like Swamp Pop bands never really got far outside of Acadiana Parish or outside of Louisiana as a whole. Uh, maybe, you know, Cookie and the Cupcakes, that would be the most notable. You've probably heard their song Matilda, I imagine. But it's probably one of those songs where you'd be like, you'd hear it and you'd be like, oh, that's awesome. But if I'd be like, have you ever heard Matilda by Cookie and the Cupcakes? You'd probably be like, I don't know what you're talking about. So do you think your mission is maybe to like bring light to that style of music and your roots in that sense or mm. maybe with like a twist? I feel like at least for me personally, the mission of Rupi Ritchie and the Reveille is just for people to have a good time, to just be able to take a break from all the stress, all the nonsense you're dealing with on a daily basis and just be like, cool, I'm going to put this song on or I'm going to go see this band and I'm going to dance and I'm going to have fun. and I'm not going to worry about anything for a little bit. Um, it, it is cool though, that in like, if that were to happen, if a lot of people were to discover these awesome artists from Louisiana's past, like that would be such a cool thing, but it's not really as much of like a, like a revival of history mission as much as it's just like, I want people to have a good time. Having a good time is awesome. It's like the best thing you can do to have a good time. So I call it a good time. I mean, that's one of the best things about music, right? Just in general. It's a good time. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> if you are just joining us, you are listening to Underground at the Showcase, an official podcast of UMS and a production of Youth on Record. We are here with Root Beer Richie and The Reveille. Um, I would like to hear more about your guys' other influences on your music. I feel like songwriting, I get inspired from, honestly, most of it is just old music. Like Fats Domino is my favorite artist forever, hands down. No one comes close. And I listen to Fats Domino still like all the time. Like I could probably like verbatim write down every lyric to like every Fats Domino song. And I still just, I can't get enough of it. And honestly, for me, songwriting, that's like where most of my influence comes from is like, I'll listen to like Fats Domino, Lee Dorsey, Otis Redding, like just old soul music, old music that just has that right feel, that right groove. And then just kind of like, I don't know, that's that's where my main inspiration for all my songwriting comes. 
I don't really have, there's a whole lot of modern bands that I absolutely adore, but whenever it comes to like the whole mindset of like, okay, let's make a new tune. Like, how are we going to get into the vibe? It's, that's my, my honeypot. I always go back to fats, go back to Sam Cooke, like Lee Dorsey, all those artists. Back to the roots. Mm-hmm. And you can hear those elements in your guys' music. Yeah, for, for sure. sure. Um, I am really interested in the horn section as well. Who all do you guys have a part of that? It's uh, me and Alex Snyder. He's playing baritone sax. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome, yeah. I'd love to hear a little more about the writing process, like especially with so many bandmates. Um, what is that writing process like? Like, does is there a big jam session to kind of figure out like how everything feels, or is there like written we, sheet music? We usually but, don't do like big jams. I mean, Rupier usually comes in with the main idea. He'll write the lyrics. He'll write the chord structure, and then I feel like we're all talented enough that we come in and you know we add our own flavor and twist to it, and you kind of get an unfiltered uh, writing. Yeah, it usually ends up like <clears throat> at least me personally. My writing process is like pretty chaotic i don't really have like a i wish it's not chaotic it's a shower bud yeah but i I meant more (laughs) like the way it happens so i I write music in the shower like almost exclusively and then i'll be like i'll just take a shower without listening to music and it's like my brain fills in the gaps and then every once in a while something will happen and then that's where the chaos ensues where i'm like oh my god this is such a good song like i'm like jumping out of the shower i'm like hurrying up and drying off and then i'm like like trying to like sing it and hear it in all in my head and then yeah but usually i'll be like i'll go downstairs to my whiteboard in the practice space and i'll like write out all the stuff and then it usually ends up being like kind of like that scene or and it's always sunny when charlie's like has all the red lines crossed he's like it's like this and 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 then i do that for a little bit and then like a calmer mind steps in like nate and is like okay cool these are the structures let's play with this and i'm like yeah okay <sighs> yeah you're right all right let's do this but he's get, you give him like a little soda stream water and he'll be all right yeah i'm easily excitable calm, calm calm down a little bit have you ever thought about leaving a writing board in the shower or like in the bathroom with you so oh, you can just dude. like come out and then just well, write it see, all down it's got to have the shower test though what's the shower so the test? shower test is if i come up with something in the shower and then I get out of the shower, I dry off, and I go, like, smoke a cigarette or, like, make a sandwich or something. And then I can still come back to it and sing it, and it all still feels the same. And then it means it's catchy enough to go for it. So I feel like if I wrote it in the shower, it'd be like a cheat code. Maybe some, maybe some that should have slipped through the cracks might not, and then I don't know. So it has to be catchy enough to stay in there and then pass the test yeah. of, like, the calm down time. I, yeah, I got to be able to, like, not think about it for 15 minutes or so and then remember it. And if I can do that, then I'm like, okay, this is probably good enough to make it to a song. It's a ritual. So the process is you think of the melody in the shower. You have to then remember the melody. Get to, what's your primary instrument? I'd say guitar. Okay. So normally, like, when you're writing, you'll remember the melody, go to the guitar, and then kind of, like, mess around with a little bit of the structure and bring it to your team. See, that would be so much smarter, but <laughs> <laughs> we're all here critiquing yeah. the shower process. I actually just kind of like walk around my house, uh, just kind of like doing like the whole thing that if anyone hears it, it sounds insane. So like, and just like for like an hour and then I'll be like, okay. I know how it sounds in here. And then I'll have to like sit down. Usually I use the piano for that because it's just. I don't know if like the piano is like the easiest thing to figure out structures with. And then I'll like kind of like pluck around with it 
or I'll get Mark, our piano player, to come over and be like, okay, uh, where am I? Uh, and then we'll like kind of structure it out like that. But no, grabbing a guitar would make a lot more sense because then I would know the chords instead hey. of being like, it starts with, uh, but yeah. Who am I to judge the process? You guys make some really good music. So however you have to get there, honestly. Okay, I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's like so that. real. Yeah, for sure. What advice would you give to younger songwriters, especially like with your own processes and what you've kind of realized like is a good fit for you when you're figuring out how to write a song? Fire it up. Honestly, go for it. Throw pasta at the wall till it sticks. That's all I do. You know, just like, I feel like there's no right way to write a song. There's no right way to have a band. There's no right way to make music. It's like kind of the beauty of it. You do whatever works for you. And if that's like frantically running around your house after a shower, if it's playing the guitar riff over and over again till it clicks right, if it's whatever it is, whatever works for you, just fire it up and go for it. Because, you know, I mean, you're going to not, you're not always going to write great songs. Sometimes you're going to write songs that aren't great. Sometimes you're going to look back on them and be like, wow, I really didn't like that. But one, one out of a hundred is probably going to be good. Yeah. But that's the thing. Just go for it. Fire it up. You know? One thing I was also kind of interested in is the technical side of your guys' like recording process since you are a bigger band. How, what does that look like? Um, I mean, it's, I feel like we're pretty straightforward when we record. Um, usually we'll do like a demo track. So we'll get that all like out of the way and it's kind of like a rough layout of what we want. And then when we hit the studio, I mean, we're all pretty quick with it. Um, we'll lay out drums, put in bass. We've done it two different ways. We've done that where it's like individual and we'll all go through. Um, and then the last or the first time we recorded, we did live tracking with drums, guitar and bass. Okay. Do you feel like maybe one is better than the other for your guys' specific style? I personally love the live tracking. Yeah, I think the live tracking's nice. You get a little more energy out of it. Mm -hmm. That's fair, like having everybody at once. Um, And it it feels a little bit cleaner in terms of like tempo. I mean, we can't have all eight of us at one time. (laughs) Yeah, that'd be a really big (laughs) studio. Yeah, need multiple rooms. We haven't got that money yet. (laughs) But as many instruments as we can get live at the same time, it just builds like a cohesiveness and it gives it like the, an energy it's like, it's hard to explain, but you can hear it. So I know we were talking about this earlier, but I would love to hear the origin of the name of the band. Um, Root Beer is just a long time nickname that I've had since like late high school, early college days. And then my last name's Richardson. So Root Beer Richie just kind of rolled together real smooth. And then as far as the Reveille, it was kind of one of those things where I don't know. I'm a big fan of alliterations and it was just kind of like, I went through a whole lot of different band names, like early days on the phone with Seth Stone being like, what are we going to call this thing? Like trying to think of something over and over again. And then I don't know, Reveille just kind of popped up. I don't even remember how it popped up, but seeing like, okay, this is a word that means to wake up with horns for a high energy, like, R&B rock band like this is perfect I just kind of fell into it honestly can't even remember how it how I stumbled across using that word and that's a great feel to it too like that idea of like the reveille feel like especially with your band with bringing people to life and having like that kind of chaotic energy like fill the room like I feel like that's just very fitting as a local performer I'd like to know uh, one of your guys's favorite spots to perform in Denver and a place you would like to perform in Colorado uh, I love performing at High Dive. 
I mean, I'm I'm a little biased for high dive. That was like my first job I had in Denver was working there. And, you know, everyone who works at high dive, all the owners, it's it's like a big family. I love the building. It's great. Um, I don't know. I feel like a, a goal in Colorado. I feel like every musician's like, yeah, I want to play Red Rocks. Because like, Absolutely. duh, you want to play Red Rocks. It's <laughs> awesome. It's like the coolest amphitheater there is. But I don't know. What's your favorite room to play, Nate? Oh, man. I'm just going to say Skylark. Skylark's good. It's my home. I like Skylark a lot. Yeah. What's your connection to Skylark? Uh, I started working there uh, when they reopened, and I've just, you know, I've made a family there. I love them. It's a great room, too. Yeah, it is a good room. It's very aesthetically pleasing upstairs. Aesthetically in the and sound is on point. And I love aesthetics. Mm -hmm. Do you have any favorite performances you've done in Colorado? Uh, Friday night. <laughs> yeah, Friday night actually was 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 pretty awesome. Yeah, that was a really good one. Um, I don't know. I feel like honestly, like most of our shows, we've been really fortunate to have a a nice string of good shows, and like most of our hometown Denver shows feel great. Mardi Gras Mambo is always a good time. Yeah, we we throw a yearly event called the Mile High Mardi Gras Mambo the Saturday before Mardi Gras every year, and. The last two years, it's been super fun just because we get over the top and get real extravagant with it and like have people throwing beads from the stage and all kinds of stuff. So we spend weeks making decorations that last for a night. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's a pretty fun time. So you guys throw beads at the audience or something? Oh, uh, we no, not like at like, them. <laughs> not more like, like, can you describe like exactly like the way all the decorations and everything go? So it's kind of like a, a, a bit of a crapshoot as far as like how we're setting it up. Because we did the first one at High Dive. We did the second one at Marquee Theater. And it's kind of more like a, we go into the venue, we look at it, and we're like, okay, what can we do? And, you know, then we have, like, we usually get, like, two or three extra people to come on stage with us. And we'll get them to, like, toss beads to the crowd throughout the set. And usually some kind of different antics. Like, this last year, we convinced Marquee to let us bring a pedicab inside of the theater and decorated it like a Mardi Gras float and I rode in through the back of the crowd in a mini Mardi Gras parade <laughs> to the front of the stage. Like we get pretty extravagant. Yeah. That's super sick. I love like just the over the top feel and vibe to like everything. Yeah. Oh. That interactive element is so yeah. fun. Yeah. Being extra is fun. It's cool. Yeah. Why not? We just try exactly. to see what we can get away with too. Yeah. Marky let us build a, like a, a little wood float on the front of the stage. And let us bring a pedicab. I was still like, yeah. they were they were kind of not about it a little bit. They're until, like, it's kind of a safety concern. Yeah. And then the day of, I was like, so could we send it? And they're like, yeah, do it. <laughs> oh, that's so awesome. Do you have any like dream performances where like you could get extra crazy and extra extravagant? And like, what would be the most over the top thing that you would ever want to do? I still want to see uh, root beer come out of a like paper mache cake. I think it'd be really funny because he already <laughs> kind of looks like a grown-up cool. baby with a mustache. So next show, <laughs> come on, make him yeah. the little king baby. Is anyone who knows about paper mache, holler at me. Yeah, <laughs> let us know. I want to see him come out of cake. Paper mache experts. <laughs> yeah, let us know. Awesome. Thank you, Rupi Richie and the Rebelly. Yeah. Cheers, y'all. Thanks for having Thank us. Thank you. Yeah, it was awesome. Thank you for joining us on Underground at the Showcase. You can find Root Beer Richie and the Reveille wherever you stream your tunes and on Instagram at Root Beer Richie and the Reveille. 
We want to give a big thanks to Meininger Art Supply for letting us record season two at their store on North Broadway. Learn more at www.meininger.com. Underground at the Showcase is an official podcast of the Underground Music Showcase and a production of Youth on Record. You can learn more about Youth on Record at www.youthonrecord.org and on social media at Youth on Record. This episode was edited and mixed by me. Our production team also includes Cesar Ibarra, Ryan Conora, Chloe Hines, and Emerson Olson. Our executive producer is David Layden. Our theme song was recorded by Genevieve Glimp, Danny Akery, and David Layden. Additional music for this episode is provided by me. You can find my music on streaming platforms under Black Key, that's B-L-V-C-K-Q-I. Thank you again for listening. I'm Xavier Goche, and this is Underground at the Showcase. Thank you.